0: Welcome to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of the Marine Corps War College, covering the intersection of strategy, security, and warfare.
1: Welcome to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically-minded podcast of Marine Corps University. Today, we're discussing Navy and Marine Corps integration and naval education. My guest today is Captain Andrea Slough. She's currently the Naval Chair for Marine Corps University. Captain Slough was commissioned in 1998 from the Naval Academy with a Bachelor of Science degree in Ocean Engineering, and later earned her Master of Arts degree from the University of Pittsburgh in Public Policy and Management, with a concentration in Security and Intelligence Studies. At sea, Captain Slough served as the Executive Officer and Commanding Officer of USS Defender and as Executive and Commanding Officer of USS Porter. Ashore, she's participated in the initial Aegis Ballistic Missile Defense Capability Development, as the Deputy Director for Joint Maritime Ballistic Defense Operations and Training at the Aegis Ballistic Missile Defense Program Office. Wow, that's a mouthful. As the Director of Maritime Warfighting at the Service Warfare Officer School, and most recently as a Senior Military Assistant to the 33rd Undersecretary of the Navy. Captain Slough's decorations include the Legion of Merit, the Pacific Fleet Ship Handler of the Year Award, and the Vice Admiral John D. Bulkley Leadership Award. Captain Slough, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Dr. Johnson, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to be here today.
1: Well, uh, I can't tell you how delighted we are to have a naval chair back at MCU, which we'll talk about here in a minute, Uh, so the pleasure is definitely mine. Before we start our discussion of the Navy Marine Corps integration and naval education, tell us a little bit about your background. I I just gave the listeners your bio, but but fill in some of those gaps. Give a little context. Yes, ma'am.
0: Thank thank you very much. And and that bio, it's kind of very, it's obviously very Navy-centric because I'm a surface warfare officer. Uh, So in a nutshell, I drive ships for a living. Uh, My specialty is combat systems and weapons development. Uh, I'm what folks might call an Aegis sailor. I've worked primarily uh, with the Aegis Navy, uh, although I had a disassociated tour uh, as a CO and an XO of a minesweeper. Uh, So I very much got to work with uh, the Marines in that aspect, and then also in uh, command of USS Porter, which is one of our, Forward Deployed Naval Forces Europe ships out of uh, Rota, Spain, had an opportunity to work uh, very much with the Forward Deployed Forces uh, to include our amphibious and expeditionary forces out there.
1: Rota, Spain was a real hardship, I'm sure.
0: Yes, ma'am. Well, what I saw of it was great, but I wasn't in the port very much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. So we had had Navy captains at Marine Corps University up until about 2010, 2011. And then we've had this gap why are you back?
0: Yes, ma'am. Well, thanks. That's a, that's a great question. And I'll tell you, it might have something to do with the, the boss that I just worked for, our uh, 33rd Undersecretary of the Navy, who's now our acting Secretary of the Navy, uh, Secretary Thomas Modley. He commissioned the Education for Sea Power study when he started as the Undersecretary. Uh, it was built uh, on the Knox King Pie report of 1919, uh, which a couple of famous names in there, Knox and King, maybe everybody remembers those <laughs> two gentlemen. And what he did is he, he got some very salient and senior members from the naval and education communities together uh, to to review from the bottom up uh, our education system. Um, and so, you know, folks on the board included General John Allen, uh, Marine Corps, who was uh, in charge of ISAF uh, and then also led our forces in Afghanistan, uh, Ambassador Barbara Barrett, who's now the Secretary of the Air Force, uh, our former Chief of Naval Operations, Mike Mullen, um, we've got Vice Admiral Anne Rondeau uh, that was on there. She was uh, formerly the chair of DuPage University and now runs our uh, Naval Postgraduate School. And then uh, Dr. Harlan Ullman, who is a stalwart at uh, up in Newport, Rhode Island uh, in our wargaming facility. So based on that, uh, it was a very extensive body of work, almost 400 pages. I know nobody has really time to read that. If you read the first 11, it's pretty good. But they came forward with a litany of recommendations, and one of those was to have better naval integration in our education system. Um, And they brought up specifically that Marine Corps University did not have a naval chair. And um, the job was offered to me, and I took it. And that's how I am
1: fortunate to be here, ma'am. And again, we are delighted to have you. Talk to us a little bit about your background background, in the destroyer community. You have strong background in weapon systems. You are a destroyer CO. Yes, ma'am. What does that bring to naval warfare across the spectrum? You have uh, given me insight that there is a distinction between naval warfare and maritime war well, fighting fine. that yes, I ma'am. want us to talk about in greater detail. <laughs> great, great. Because I don't understand that <laughs> distinction quite yet. But for a schoolhouse, a university that deals predominantly with amphibious and expeditionary warfare, Talk to me about the importance of having a destroyer CO with yes, us. Yes, ma'am.
0: So I, I think a lot of that is the the character and nature of war, to use General Allen's terms that are, that are occurring. So the, the nature of war is technology development right now. And it's happening so fast that you, I think formerly we would think of expeditionary amphibious warfare as kind of the 10 mile and end kind of mm-hmm. region. The, people want to call it brown water. It's not brown water. That's riverine. It's, it's the green water, uh, which is 10 mile and end and then the blue water, everything on the other side of it. Uh, but the weapons technology and everything moving at such a faster, faster pace, you can't can't just think about it like that anymore. Uh, And so I I advocate, and the Commandant of the Marine Corps advocates it as well in his planning guidance about naval integration and force design. And so I think for many years, uh, the Marine Corps community has welcomed our amphib sailors, uh, and they do a great job at what they're doing. My job on that destroyer is sea control, and it it can control large amounts of of sea space, airspace, and then undersea space. That's what it was designed to do. It was designed to integrate with a carrier strike group. I've done it for the better part of my 20 years uh, in, in the Navy. Um, and so when, when you look at what that means, um, it, it brings uh, composite warfare and force employment uh, from the warfighting pillar of the Commandant's planning guidance. And I hope that that's one of the major things that I can inject into the curriculum and, and hopefully with the students here is a better understanding of that.
1: Talk to us about composite warfare, because that's another term yes, that, that at Marine Corps University <laughs> we didn't say very often until 12 months ago. Yes, ma'am. So what is composite warfare? How does that fit with fighting the MAGTAF?
0: Sure. Yes, ma'am. So I think that uh, composite warfare, uh, naval officers learn this from the time at their ensigns because it's it's mainly what we operate in. Uh, we, have, we have a boss's boss who's usually an admiral or a one- or a two-star admiral that we work for. He or she delegates uh, different powers in different areas, so air defense or undersea warfare. Um, and so, you know, who and then there's a ship or a squadron that's in charge of that. You know who you're supposed to call when you need things. It's a command by negation kind of concept, a little bit different than the traditional catif and cliff relationship that we've seen in our amphibious community. Uh, that doesn't mean it can't be integrated. The caddiff and the cliff, a lot of writing on how that can be integrated into the composite warfare concept, but it, it's really a decentralized command and control. Uh, I, think, I think it works pretty good for the Navy. Uh, we don't stick to our doctrine as much as the Marine Corps does. Uh, but but I think that uh, together we can work through this. And I think with the speed and technology of warfare occurring, we're going to have to work through it.
1: Yeah, so you talk about the speed and, and technological change in warfare, but why is there all this emphasis now? What is it about, without getting into classified information, what is it about today that makes this important?
0: I think, uh, in general, we've gone back to the uh, competition among states, uh, which is extremely important. And to do that, you know, America for America, it's always an away game. Whenever whenever we hope to never fight right. on our home shores. So with that, your Navy, your team Navy, right? So the Navy and the Marine Corps, the Department of the Navy, is your expeditionary force that's supposed to be your entry striking force into that. And the weapons that we've seen develop in the last 10 or 15 years from our, our peer or near-peer competitors' Uh, have come a, a long way, as have their communication networks, uh, their general intelligence networks. So, it, you know, on, on general terms, it's, it's changed the way that we fight. And uh, you see in the Commandant's planning guidance, then the Secretary of the Navy's guidance, and I think the CNO's guidance, I don't want to speak for him because it's not out yet. Um, but you definitely see a shift from land forces fighting ashore that are disaggregated from their naval components uh, into naval Integration. You know, the CMC talks about MU redesign to include lightning carriers. I mean, that could change the way that the, the Marine Corps fights as a MAGTAF. It doesn't necessarily dissolve it. It just says, hey, let's break away from our traditional methods of warfare uh, that maybe we've been using that that need to be reevaluated because that's what good leaders do, right? They look at situations and say, hey, this worked for us. This doesn't work for us. Let's reevaluate it and see what we need to change. Um, and so I think now that's that's why this really comes to the forefront is everybody's talking about it. It's on the minds of our senior leaders, uh, so it should be on the minds of the 05s and 06s that are their advisors and that are helping write the doctrine for what we're going to go do.
1: You know, it's interesting, back when General Neller was first commandant, he was speaking, I forget if it was a beginning of the year ceremony, we call it convocation when everyone is there, if it was commencement at the end of the year, I'd, or, or if the commandant just came to talk to MCU, I forget, but we were all over in Little Hall. And he was talking us through, these are the challenges that we're struggling with now. And he was talking about the littorals and the importance of the Marine Corps to prepare itself to fight the littorals going forward. He was talking about it in terms of population centers and the number of megacities that are within 10, 15, 20 miles of a coastline. Fast forward at this point, five, maybe five years, and it is no longer the idea of urban warfare. That's still, of course, critical, but it is no longer the idea of, you know, that old um, A Few Good Men, where, I, is it Jack Nicholson? It must have been. So, oh, we love you, Navy boys. Anytime we got a fight, you you <laughs> float us there, or whatever the line was. And that was, that was I don't mean to to put anything in, in General Neller's mind or speak for him, and but the sense was... The Marine Corps is going to be fighting. Amphibious war, it was all shipped to to maneuver, shipped to objective maneuver. How do we get to the fight? Not we're going to fight with our Navy partners, that we're fighting together. Joint was they're going to get us there and then we're going to go ashore and we're going to fight. It seems like the logical next step, but it's interesting that it's taken us a half a decade to get to the point where we really are as two services really talking and, and embracing the idea.
0: Yes, ma'am. I, I think uh, that's a great point. You know, the Navy is not Uber for Marines. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, just to put it in perspective, my air defense missiles go at least 80 miles. Some of them will go upwards of 200 miles. My land attack missiles go from 700 to 1,000 miles. Uh, so when you talk about power projection af- ashore, um, I was on an IA to CENTCOM, and I, I worked with several Marines, and one of them, uh, my friend Stan, told me, hey, Andrea, you know, it, it's great if you have have a lot of friends, it's better if your friends have guns. Uh, so in, in this respect, you know, you, you, the Navy team uh, as part of the department of the Navy team brings a lot of heavy weaponry. That is, it's mobile, it's agile, it's hostile. Uh, and you can really put a lot of, uh, power projection ashore in a, in a very short space. And I think, you know, we have to change our mind that that I think when Marines, it may, maybe it's a World War II doctrine, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but when you look over your shoulder, you wanna sh- see the ships fighting you. Well, for our destroyers, they're giant blue water ships me being right next to the coast is not going to allow me to employ the weapon systems or the weapon systems of the other ships and submarines uh, and aircraft in, in my strike group or my expeditionary strike group. It's not going to op- optimize those weapons systems. So I think as the focus shifts from land wars uh, in, in Asia and we get back to our expeditionary capability per our naval charter, uh, we start to look at these things. And, and when you, you know, joint is not, joint is with another service. So joint is not Navy Marine Corps. That's mm-hmm. the same team. Uh, joint is when we call the Air Force and the Army, and we like those guys, too, because they bring <laughs> guns. Um, and so I think all of us are taking a look at um, exactly, you know, what do we bring to the fight? How can we help each other out? And I think that when America works as one team, we're absolutely at our best. And that's, that's the uh, the evolution of warfare. And I'd say that no other country could keep up with us if we decided, if and when we decide to do that. And we've seen that in the past. Mm-hmm. So.
1: So we here at Marine Corps University, 100,000 students enrolled in MCU programs over a given 12-month period. Predominantly, those are on the enlisted side. Predominantly, those are on the distant side. So we don't have quite as many students either here at Quantico or in residence in the different academies. But you as Naval Chair, you have access to all of them. What do you see as your role as a naval chair? What do you what are you looking to do in your first year, and then as long as we are fortunate enough to have you with us? Yes, ma'am. Well, thanks. The first thing I
0: appreciate is that uh, you and General Bargeron have given me a very, very long leash, uh, and that I am able to integrate uh, all the way across the Marine Corps University enterprise. Um, and it's not just it's not just Andrea Slough doing this. Um, uh, you know, I'm already calling the Naval War College and the mm-hmm. Naval Postgraduate School and the Naval Academy uh, to bring the entire enterprise together because I think that's where we're going to. I don't have all the brains, uh, but I know a lot of people that have big brains, and so we're going to call them and get them involved in, in a lot of this doctrine development. Um, I think that I can help in, in three different levels, right? So that the, the ta- at the tactical level, uh, I hope to be able to mentor, advise, and challenge students directly uh, in the classroom or, or after class in labs and in warfighting scenarios. Uh, I really hope that my experience in five overseas tours uh, can help with that and then also serving on uh, the larger strategic staffs. Operationally, I hope that I can influence the curriculum across all the schools so that that legacy will uh, I'm gonna put in a foundation somebody's gonna need to come after me and perpetuate that um, but I think that if we get the curriculum influence in there so that is evenly Navy and marine that that will be um, exceptional and then strategically I would like to connect the Marine Corps University Enterprise to the Department of Defense and the Department of the Navy uh, to include the other flagship institutions that I've spoken about before the Naval Postgraduate School the Naval War College and the Naval Academy um, I hope I hope that I can integrate all the way from the strategic to the tactical level. I hope that I do it well. Um, I'm going to put a lot of energy into it, and I, I guess we'll see um, see what happens. So on the other side of that, uh, there's a lot of recommendations that came from the Education for Sea Power memo, uh, the creation of a naval college to compile and elevate the educational budget, and then focus uh, the learning on what the Navy and Marine Corps team needs with possible specialties. I hope that I can have a, a voice uh, and ideas about helping further a lot of those objectives.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about the flow out of the Education for Sea Power report, we are in the process now of hiring the leadership team to develop, to stand up and develop the Naval Community College, which I think is a phenomenal educational opportunity for enlisted Marines. We're building the Naval University system to formally not consolidate, but, but institutionalize established relationships among all of the Naval schools, including Marine Corps University what more can you tell us about this program, about developments as it's launched? The report came out, I think it was a year ago now. It was January of 19, right? Yes, ma'am. It sure did. So we're a year in. How's it going?
0: So I think um, I, w- I would let our chief learning officer be the judge of that, uh, Dr. Kroger, who is up at the Pentagon. So that was one of the recommendations that came out uh, was to appoint, uh, establish, and appoint a chief learning officer. That has been done. He is an amazing man. Oh, he's if,
1: phenomenal. Yeah, yes, he's ma- been so, here a number of times. Right, yeah.
0: right. And so he's very high energy. Comes from a legal background, and as well as an enlisted marine. So when you talk to somebody that's that's walked the walk and done a lot of unique things to prepare himself, it, it was almost divine providence that br- that brought. Him to the job, which I, I think is great. Um, the creation of the Naval University, I understand, is is well underway. It's hard uh, because it talks about, you know, where the leadership lies and, and who's going to do it. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of concern from all sides. Uh, maybe we're going to break a little bit of China there uh, to get folks out of their comfort zone, but that needs to be done. Uh, the Naval Community College, I, I just read remarks from Secretary Modley and Dr. Kroger yesterday. I think the Naval Community College, and for those of you who maybe haven't been exposed to it, what it is, is it's, uh, I don't want to call it a community of practice, but it's a global community that is coming together to say, yes, we want to educate our enlisted sailors and Marines. Your credits will transfer. Here's a transcript, uh, like a it is a standardized transcript that every college that is part of this community of practice will uh, accept, and so there is a lot of work I, I can imagine uh, that goes into putting that into play. And I think Admiral Ronda, with her former experience as the head of DuPage University, is uh, critical in this, getting that. So when sailors and Marines, you know, we're mobile, right? We move. Like, you know, I was at the Pentagon. I've been in Japan. I've been in Spain. Like, if I if I were an enlisted sailor trying to get a college degree, going through that, like, how many times would I have to transfer mm-hmm. credits and education? Well, this will all transfer. What the sailors and Marines now. So, you know, a rising tide raises all boats and it will raise the level of education of our, the best workforce in the world, our sailors and Marines. And that's supposed to be up by 2021. It's supposed to be in play by 2021. And I think that's extremely exciting uh, because I love our sailors and Marines. Those men and women, they, I mean, they work hard. I mean, they sign up to, to sacrifice their life for the United States. Like I can't think of another company that asks you to do that. Uh, and they do it and they don't have to, it's an all volunteer force. So anything we can do. Um, and there's some of the best advisors on the ships too, that I, that I've had or on the staffs that I've experienced working with. So. I think it's only fair that we include that. And I, that's not getting as much press as it needs because it, it affects our entire workforce. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, really revolutionary. So and then uh, the Navy uh, put together an N7, uh, which Admiral Munch mm-hmm. has been named the head of. And I think that so that's uh, war fighting development and integration, uh, very akin to what General Smith does for the Marine Corps. Uh, and, and from what I understand, I've been back to the Pentagon in a couple months, but I think that that is really just taking off. And I know before we left, Admiral Munch was uh, really, really excited about that new position mm-hmm. and getting it going. So.
1: Yeah. So So I think we've had a a couple of meetings with General Smith from McSidic and then Admiral Munch and Mm -hmm. and Mr. Kroger all together thinking strategically about where do we want this enterprise to go. And I know we as the Marine Corps are are delighted to see this emphasis in the Navy on PME and, and Admiral Munch I think is firmly on board with that, certainly supportive of the Naval Community College. We are delighted the Naval Community College will be housed here at Quantico. It'll be a tenant command aboard Quantico. We as MCU will, will help with the, the build-out of that as our folks from MPLs and, and Naval War College as well. Uh, but it is exciting. They are looking to enroll their first cohort of students in January of 21, as you had mentioned, and could grow. This is open to... Any enlisted Marine or sailor, so it, hundreds of thousands of individuals will have access to this educational opportunity. And, and from what I understand, it's
0: different than uh, tuition assistance that I think many sailors are, are used to. It's, it's not the same program, so it's not just TA revamped. It's, it's something entirely different. And, right. and I think the benefit to having it here on Quantico, which, which is really fantastic, is that the entire the governance for the entire Marine Corps education system sits within about a quarter mile of each other. Um, so if I need to talk to the head of a, one of the other their institutions, I literally walk across the street and say, hey, Colonel, do you have five minutes? And, you know, you can sit down and get a lot. We have great technology, but you can really get a lot of problems solved over a cup of coffee uh, or or a lot of integration put into place over a cup of coffee. And I think that's what makes Quantico uh, such a great model for a lot of the governance uh, of institutions that go out there is it makes it it really easy for everybody to collaborate. And you need that in an Mm -hmm. academic environment.
1: Right. Yeah. Particularly when we're talking about integrated operations and and up and down the chain of command, or from very tactical up to strategic level, integrating learning outcomes, program outcomes, and That's the right. like. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So we will have, once we get the president of the Naval Community College on board, we will have them on the podcast and, and ask them all <laughs> sorts of questions. And, and certainly the CLO is getting ready to release his naval education strategy, I think sometime in the next month or so. It's in final review right now. Uh, so at that point, we'll have Mr. Kroger on and, and pepper him with questions too. But... It is a really interesting, exciting time to be involved, not just in Marine Corps education, but to be part of the broader Navy Marine Corps team to see what what naval education as a whole is going to look like differently five years from now.
0: Yes, ma'am. And, and I think that's, you know, it's interesting because we're starting to get at the talent management part that everybody right. that everybody wants to discuss, right? So when you when you listen to our senior leaders, and specifically Secretary Modley, he, he speaks about, you know, what our competitive advantage is in the world. And our competitive advantage, advantage is gray matter. And he doesn't mean the gray zone. He means the gray matter between your two ears. He means <laughs> the brain. Um, and so, you know, this is starting to get at taking care of our people and that talent management and putting more information into the brains of our, sales. And Marines, which will ultimately lead us to victory. You know, we saw this with all the World War II admirals that you can talk about, um, all all of them, right? Spruance, King, all of McCain, all of them went to the Naval War College, and it was heralded as this great place of learning uh, where they could debate and they could even fight each other as friends. And then they'd walk out and and go have a cocktail and a cigar or whatever they did back before World War II. Uh, They could could go do that, and then then they'd come in the next day and and they challenged each other. And I think to have uh, a culture and an organization that takes Takes pride in the people and the talent management and it allows us to explore things that may not be directly in line with with doctrine and exactly what everybody's saying i mean it's it's in the commandant cpg it's you know secnav said it in his in his comments and uh, and i know our navy leadership feels the same way so it's very it's very unique very exciting
1: yeah so last question yes, ma'am what are you reading right oh. now that our listeners should know about? <laughs> well,
0: I'm, I'm reading a lot of introduction to Marine Corps University <laughs> and how the oh, university probably, here yeah. works. But uh, although, uh, you know, I would advocate that to anybody that wants to read it. But I think the question really is like, what kind of book am I reading? Um, so right now I'm reading a book called On Grand Strategy by uh, Dr. Uh, John Lewis Gaddis. Um, and he talks a lot about his foxes and hedgehogs theory, if, if you've ever been up north and heard, heard any of that. Um, it is a very heavy read, and I only get through a couple or three pages a night, and then I got to think about it and then I go back and reread some stuff. Um, so I've actually been reading the book for about six months and on the side, I'm reading a couple others, but, um, but I think it's, it's really good. And it's making me as a a senior leader, uh, take a look at the way I thought about things and maybe explore new, new ways to attack the problems that, that are not, not only just right in front of us, but also 20 or 30 years down. And, and Hey, is this the Navy? Is this the department of Navy or even the department of defense that, that I want to lead or that I want to fight with in 20 years? Uh, And so I really appreciate that about the book. Great.
1: Well, Captain Slough, thank you so much for coming on the show. To keep up with the good work of Marine Corps University, follow us on social media at at Marine Corps U. Thanks to our producer, Jen Howell, and the Marine Corps University Foundation for their support. I'm your host, Becky Johnson. Thank you for listening to Eagles, Globes, and Anchors, the strategically minded, innovative podcast of Marine Corps University.
0: This concludes the EGA podcast. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the United States Marine Corps or the Department of Defense. You can follow the Marine Corps War College on Twitter, Instagram, and
1: Facebook at,
0: at College. And as always, our podcast music is Stuck in Traffic by Romero. Have a great
1: day.